Take your Bibles tonight, go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're going through this book on Wednesday night. Let's read again verses 19 through 30. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him that as a son with the Father he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Amen. Well, as a reminder, leading up to this point in this chapter, it's dealing with unity and humility as we serve the Lord. And I mentioned last time how cliques are natural. Friendships often revolved around our personal interest. Nothing wrong with that, I don't think. But we have to be careful because they can become dangerous to a church once they become exclusive. Without preaching that message again. (laughs) The point is, while it is fine and even understandable to have friends who share similar interests, we ultimately need friends who can point us to Christ, help develop our walk with the Lord that we might grow closer to Him. We don't need friends that will just fit our fleshly interest the best. We need to look to a person's spirituality. None are perfect. But try to have friends in your life that are at a higher spiritual level than you are. Not that you neglect having friends that need help, but you ought to have those that can help because iron sharpens iron those who can encourage and challenge you to a deeper walk with God. This is why I believe many of our teens and sometimes our young adults have more difficulty in this area. They will either only associate with those that are within their peer group or our senior saints will refuse to take the time to mentor them. Both require getting out of our comfort zone. I know he wouldn't want me to embarrass him, so I did not ask for permission to do this. But I believe Brett Foley embodies this well. He's been a mentor to many young men in our church by taking his personal interest and using that in a spiritual manner. And I know it's been a help to to my boys. And uh, it doesn't go unnoticed, brother, and I appreciate it. And so you can take your personal interest and you can use it spiritually to help others no matter the age gap. And I know he does that at the press as well with the men that show up. I'm simply saying, take time to help others along. It isn't about whether or not you're relevant. 
I think that's the fear by many old timers. I'm just not relevant to them. Young people don't need somebody that's relevant. They need somebody who will lead. Parents are never relevant to their kids. You know, you don't have to know all the slang of somebody. You don't have to know all of their popular culture. But you can make an impact in somebody's life just by simply being godly. I'm a sports guy, so I'll give you this example. Back when football coaches were able to stay in one location for a long time. Remember those days, Brother Wells? A lot of these young men who were drafted came off the streets, no father figure in their life, and yet when a coach was inducted into the Hall of Fame or passed away, you would hear a lot of the players begin to speak of them as a father figure in their life, that they not only helped them in the area of football, but that they helped them in the area of life and how appreciative they were that somebody who otherwise they shared no interest whatsoever outside of football, but that somebody could make such an impact in their life. And so we ought to invest in other people, amen? We all need relationships where one is wiser than we are and who will speak the truth in love. So I'm encouraging you, uh, encouraging you to find those who are farther along in your walk with God and listen to their wisdom. Sadly, there have been many young men who have thought they knew more than they really did and they left really good churches over it. I can remember an instance, Brother Wells, I'm sure you'd remember this particular instance I'm thinking of. I won't say his name, but got sideways with preacher over a doctrinal issue that really wasn't worth debating. Ended up leaving and uh, regretted it later. And so, listen, just because you've been in church your whole life don't mean, doesn't mean you have all the answers. Well, praise the Lord. Those who excel are those who will understand that they don't understand at all. (laughs) Don't have all the answers, but will stick around long enough to grow beyond their limited experiences. You know, the Bible says that aged women should teach the younger women. Now, ladies, I don't know what it means to be aged, and I'm not going there tonight. (laughs) But the aged men are also to teach the young men. And it's amazing when you read in the Bible what it is they're supposed to be taught. Isn't it fascinating that the aged women are told to teach the young women how to love their children? Wouldn't you think that would be something natural? They're even told to teach how to love your husbands. Just amazing. In all of those areas you'll find in the Bible... It's, um, it's spiritual things. But you see, to accomplish this, we have to look beyond our circle of friends. And then according to 1 Peter 5.5, 5, it is then the responsibility of the younger to submit to the elder. So we're to teach young people. We're to teach those who are young in the faith the ways of godliness and the ways of righteousness. Because ultimately, we want our replacements much as I'm glad to be done with the military, it is one thing that I believe they do well. And that is always preparing for your replacement. Somebody else has to be the master sergeant one day. And so you're always grooming and preparing those who can be used in that position. And so Paul, because he can't go to Philippi yet, because he's under house arrest, he sends Timotheus to Philippi to be a help to them. Remember that he sends Timothy because 
Timothy was sendable. That was the emphasis last time. We ought to be sendable servants for Christ. Having lived our life in a way that we have learned from those above us, that we have submitted to the leadership of our elders, their wisdom, their experiences, and we have taken that, we have continued in those things as Timothy did. And listen, that for Timothy began with his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. It started with the elders teaching the younger and then it it carried on with Paul teaching Timothy the ways of God. And thankfully, Timothy submitted to their teaching. And thankfully, there were those in Timothy's life that wanted to teach him. Do you see the process here? Um, We need to get a hold of this as a church. Sometimes elders think that they can't reach younger folks. And sometimes younger folks are so prideful they don't think that the elderly have anything worth saying. Well, you just don't understand. No, I do understand. I was a teenager once. When a church can learn the value of this process of the older teaching the younger generation, then there's unity. Humility. That's what this chapter is talking about. There's humility in that one will go to the other and the other will listen to the other. Unity. Because now we are all working together. I don't know that this really has anything to do with anything, but that's what was on my heart. And all of this will lead to productive service within the church body. And to our elders, I would tell you, please don't fall for the lie that you have nothing of value to say to our young people. Don't believe that they're not listening either. It's amazing what little children pick up in service. I mean, they're sitting there coloring, you know, something completely off topic from the message, and yet afterwards they can speak to you about it. That's amazing to me. And so sometimes some young person may kind of seem rebellious about it. They're listening. They're listening. So don't give up. Stay with it. Now back to our text where we will pick up where we left off last time. We see in verse 24 that while Paul's fate was uncertain, he still trusted in the Lord that he would hopefully soon be able to go to Philippi again. We've already covered that thought, so I'm not going to cover it again. But he has that sense that he's going to be released and that he will be back out ministering to churches. Then in verse 25, we see the second half of this message, sendable servants, that Paul not only sends Timothy, but he sends Epaphroditus to them as well. And remember that this was an unlikely trio in those days, to have Paul, a Jew, Timothy, a half-Jew, half-Greek, and Epaphroditus, a Gentile, to all be serving together in harmony and in unity. It's, it, it would be amazing. If we could go back in those days, we would understand just how amazing uh, this trio was, that they're actually working together. Why? Because they had been made partakers of the same promises in Christ. Christ tears down the middle wall of partition. Hallelujah. And we all become one body because of one Spirit. And so we all have things common. Healthy churches are diverse churches. I know sometimes demographically you can't help that. Amen. Sometimes there's just not enough diversity in a town to be diverse. Duh. But healthy churches are diverse churches. And church bodies are unique because it is within the local body that we find people that are from different backgrounds, different social status, different career path, different levels of financial success and all the rest. 
We have all these differences, and yet we all come together and break bread together. That's amazing. We have people born all over this country. We have military. We have civilians. And yet all of us can come together because we have the same Father. Isn't that amazing? And so understand how healthy... Uh, uh, how a healthy church looks so different from the world. Many of you go to work because that's what you have in common, but you really could care less about those you're around. Well, maybe I was the only one that hated my job, but in church, it ought not to be that way, amen? We come together not because we have the same commonality in all the worldly areas, but because we have a spiritual commonality in Christ. We are unified around Him. And so listen how uh, Paul here, a Jew, refers to Epaphroditus, a Gentile, in verse 25. Look at what he says my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier. What an amazing statement to be made by a Jew to a Gentile in the first century. Now, who is Epaphroditus? Well, we only learn of him from this book in verses 25 through 30, and there's a mention of him in chapter 4 and verse 18. We can see that he was likely a member of the church in Philippi. While Paul was in Rome, the Philippian believers had sent Epaphroditus to Paul to be an encouragement to him and to bring a love offering, a gift to the Apostle Paul to help in his time of need. And in chapter 4, we'll see when we get there, Paul thanks them for sending Epaphroditus. It says in Philippians 4.18, I am full having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Amen. We'll say more when we get there, but don't you know our missionaries are glad when we're faithful to give? By the grace of God, we've been able to stay faithful. And I just want to encourage you tonight, don't stop giving to missions. Those guys out there on the field depend on us to be faithful. Obviously, Epaphroditus showed up at a time when Paul really needed him. Paul was ready to be offered up. His future is not certain. He's ready to go. He wants to stay. He knows it's beneficial to stay for them. And let's not forget this, though, that while Paul was under house arrest, he was a man of like passions. He had the same emotions we have. He had the same thoughts. And he was flesh and blood just like us. And no doubt the arrival of Epaphroditus in this time of need was very comforting to him, being a huge blessing uh, to him and an encouragement to Paul. So when Paul says in verse 25 that he supposed it necessary to, to send Epaphroditus, he's really sending him back to Philippi. That's where he came from. It's generally believed that when Paul sent Epaphroditus back to Philippi, that he did so with Epaphroditus carrying this letter to the church at Philippi. Many of you, though not inspired, at the end of chapter 4, you'll find these words, to the Philippians written from Rome by Epaphroditus. That's just added in there, but that's what many believe, that Epaphroditus was the, the carrier of this letter. We know also that Epaphroditus was a servant. At the end of verse 25, it says that he was their messenger and that he ministered to Paul's wants. Now, to be a minister means... To be a servant. While Paul was under house arrest, Epaphroditus would do all that he could to help the Apostle Paul to meet his needs and his wants, to run errands even. 
He couldn't go anywhere. To conduct business. To help in the ministry. Epaphroditus was there to help. And churches need servants like Epaphroditus. Amen. Those who will serve without regard of wanting the limelight. Trust me, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. The, uh, the other Sunday, I was sitting right back there with Sue Mack, and I said, boy, I sure miss sitting right out here. It's way easier. And we need servants that will say, I just want to serve wherever. Wherever you can plug me in, that's where I'll be. Those who are content just to help in any way that they can. They don't have to be out in front, but whatever capacity is necessary, they'll say, here am I. We also see that Epaphroditus was faithful. We saw this in verses 26 through 30. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that he had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I send him therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation." Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. We see that Epaphroditus had been near death. Why? For the work of the ministry. You see, Epaphroditus had learned that he was not to count his life dear unto himself when it came to the work of God. We don't know how, but through his service for God, he became very ill. But he was faithful. And he had learned to say like the Apostle Paul in Acts 20, verse 24, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Epaphroditus had learned that the ministry that God had called him to was more important even than his own health. Boy, we could do something right there. And I'm fighting it. I remember Pastor Paul Perkins telling me once, the church there in Mississippi, while he was in the Philippines, there was somebody who had leprosy. Nobody would go visit her. And he said, I'll go. Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to go to the COVID ward? You see what I'm saying? We don't know how he got sick, but he got sick because he was serving God. Therefore, serving God doesn't mean you're not going to get sick. Well, that's a whole other thing. You know, Esther learned to say in her service to God, and if I perish, I perish. She said, I'm going to go in and talk to the king. If I die, I die. You know, Daniel, he knew, I'm going to be cast into the den of lions. The apostles learned it's better for us to obey God rather than man. And we are, we are there, or we are on the cusp, the threshold, we are close in this country where we better decide how much our ministry to God is worth. How important is God and the work of God to you? And so we see that Epaphroditus was a faithful church member who faithfully served the Lord. Can you say that about yourself? I pray God would bless our church with Epaphroditus's. We need some servants 
like this man. That no matter the social and political climate, no matter the health climate of our day, that the work of the ministry would go forward. And we see that men like Epaphroditus are the ones we are to hold in high esteem. Would you notice that in verse 29, Paul says, and hold such in reputation. You know what this means? It means that Epaphroditus was to be valued and honored. Don't hold up sports figures. When I was a kid, man, I wanted a pair of Air Jordans so bad. I'm ashamed now that I even wanted them. My parents worked so hard to get them for me. Just to find out not long after that that he was a womanizer. Don't hold up sports figures. Don't hold up actors. I shouldn't have to convince you not to hold up Hollywood. Don't hold up your favorite book writers, business people, whoever in in worldly interest. Do you know the Bible says we ought to hold up as those who are faithful? I believe there may be wisdom in waiting until somebody has run their course to do that. But this is a biblical principle, so don't be alarmed by this. Encourage your children to hold up godly people in places of value and honor, all without dishonoring Christ. Honor those who are faithful. The key is Proverbs 27.2. Let another man praise thee, <laughs> not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. The problem is when it becomes man worship. Instead of worshiping the God who made the man. Now I wanted to save these three for last. If you've been around here long enough, you will recall there was a year when Dave Summerdorf was here and he preached the household of Epaphroditus a series during one of our family camps. And it's an excellent uh, series. If you haven't listened to it, I recommend you find it. Uh, It's out there on YouTube and things like that. And I would encourage you to listen to it. I want you to notice the three titles given by Paul of Epaphroditus. There where it said in verse number 25, My brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier. Boy, we need friends and church members like this. Your best friends ought to be your brothers and sisters in Christ. Not saying you don't have fishing holes where you can catch those who need to be caught. Nothing wrong with that. But your very best friends ought to be those in the Lord. And I want to highlight how these three build upon one another. I hope you noticed that. We see first of all that it begins by being a brother in Christ. Here's a Jew and a Gentile. Though they were once separated religiously, they have now been brought together to a point that they can call themselves brothers. In Christ, they had entered into the same family. Isn't it amazing when Brother Rickard was here and we heard the missionary account of those five men down in Ecuador, that the very men that killed, I don't know his first name, Steve Saint, whatever the son's name was, Steve was the son, that the very men who killed Steve's dad could be saved and call them brother. What an amazing God that can take an Aka Indian and some dude from the States and make them family. Romans 10, 12, and 13, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. 
For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved. Galatians 3.28 There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.10 and 11 And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of Him that created Him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. You understand tonight that the devil wants us focused on our differences. He wants us to highlight our personality differences that kind of rub us the wrong way. It's okay. You have family members that rub you the wrong way too. That's what the enemy wants us focused on. He wants us divided over our backgrounds, our social status, our personality. Satan wants this church in disarray. But we need to remember why we are gathered tonight. We are gathered in the name of Christ. He is our common denominator. And as a result, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are born again. You understand we are a family. Many of you could give testimony how this church has been closer to you than your own flesh and blood. We are a family. There's going to be crazy uncles. Senile grandparents. Immature kids. Those who get sick. Those who have to work a lot. You understand what I'm saying? We, we're all family. We have to work through those things. That's what family does, I hope. That's what they're supposed to do. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Can I just say this? Don't let a bad experience rob you of the blessing of a church family. There are bad marriages, but we don't give up on the institution of marriage. There are bad churches, but we don't give up on the institution of the church. There's going to be some arguments along the way. I read this in a book once, but it's my understanding that parents can argue with their children along the way. I don't know who these people are, but they're out there. It's my understanding that marriages can hit some rough patches. You know, so can a church. But we're a family. And we ought to stick together. We're first brothers and sisters in Christ, and because of this, we become companions in labor. This means a lack of selfishness. Because now, not only are we saying that we're named within the family, but we're beginning to serve one another. And you cannot serve God without serving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Philippians 2.4 here in our chapter, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And we ought to be unified in our labors. We're called to be co-laborers. Amen. We all have the same mission. It's amazing in the military you can have all these job titles. 
AFSCs in the Air Force, MOSs in the Army. I don't know what the other branches call them. You have all these different career paths, and yet all of them are working towards the same objective. The body of Christ is no different. Now, what's interesting is this is where things begin to whittle down. There's no shortage of people that claim to be in the family. There's a lot of people who say they're a brother and a sister in Christ. But when we start talking about companions and labors, that starts to decrease. Jesus said as much Himself. Then saith He unto His disciples in Matthew 9, 37 and 38, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Now our church is very blessed with laborers. That's a fact. About or just over half of our church every week is laboring somewhere in the body. But what about the other half? Jesus gave the answer, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. As Christ builds the church, He knows what He's doing. There's no shortage. There's just shortage of participation. The reason the body is put together by God is because every part of the body has a purpose. Every part of the body has an area of service. Even those who say, I can't. You can pray. And that's not a last-ditch thing. Would to God all of our senior saints who feel like God is done with them would just say, you know what? I'm going to pray. Sit in your recliner and pray. Whatever's comfortable. I know some of you can't kneel anymore. Pray. You've been gifted by God to labor among us and through us and for us. All of us are here for Christ. Every body part has a purpose. I'm still wondering about tonsils. I had them removed, but I'm assuming they served a purpose at one time. It's amazing what you can have yanked out of your body these days, isn't it? Well, that's another sermon. 1 Corinthians 3, 8, 9. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. And many of you tonight would say, I'm in the family of God. I'm born again, I know that. But how many of you can say you are laborers within the local church? I'm not being abrasive in any way. I'm just trying to encourage you to get involved. Become a companion in labor. There's plenty you can do around here. Amen. We always need work at the press. Amen, Brother Brett? We need helpers in the Sunday school department. Yeah. Listen, those guys need a break sometime too. We need helpers in junior church. The bus ministry. Nursery workers. Church cleaners. Winter's coming. You can shovel snow. You can push a broom. We'll even take certain volunteers, Brother Brock, in the academy. Certain volunteers, amen. Look, if you don't know how to do math, we don't want you teaching math, okay? That's what I'm saying. My mom, God bless her, she might be watching tonight. It's like the one time she tried to help me in my academics. And it was a sheet where you had to count money. If there's one thing you would think my mom could do is count money. Ask my dad. Well, she changed all my answers to wrong answers. Mom never helped with math again. Amen. (laughs) 
And if you're watching, I love you. <laughs> so are you a companion in labor? 1 Corinthians 15, 58 encourages us that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. However, God plugs you into the body. I, I want you to understand there are no just servants in the church. In, in other words, well, I just do this. There, there's none of that within the body. I, I'm just a nursery worker. <laughs> Go work in the nursery, amen. I'm just a cleaner. I'm just a, a chair straightener. Listen, all servants are valuable in the work of the Lord. Amen. I mean, many of you know nursery workers and children workers, they have a special anointing upon them, amen. <laughs> if I was running those programs, you don't want me running those programs. I can tell you God has not called me to children. To my children, Yes. To your children, no. It would not end well. well. It may end well for some, but for most of you, no. Now, I've got to hustle. I'm sorry. First, you become a member of the family through faith in Christ alone. Then you become a companion in labor. And lastly, I want you to notice, then you become fellow soldiers. There's a decrease in labors, and unfortunately, it dwindles down even more when you start talking fellow soldiers. Laborers will come and go but fellow soldiers are there for the long haul. These are those who have learned to endure hardness as a good soldier in Jesus Christ. These are those who have learned not to entangle themselves with the affairs of this life. These are those that go through the battles with you. This goes beyond laboring, but this gets into giving your life for others. Acts 15.26 says, Men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 16.3 and 4, Paul said, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who for my life laid down their own necks. And then here again in Philippians 2.30, Epaphroditus not regarding his life. We need within our church those that will go beyond just being named in the family, those who will go beyond just filling a slot and laboring, but we need those who will say, by the grace of God, I am here. I am a fellow soldier. I am with you to the end. Let's go forward for Christ. Amen. We need Epaphroditus. Brother Summerdorf made this observation in his series that these two men had a face-to-face -face relationship in that they were brothers. They had a side-by-side -side relationship in that they were companions in labors. And they had a back-to-back -back relationship in that they were fellow soldiers. And a soldier has your back. Right. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Where are you at tonight? Maybe you're not even in the family yet. You can become a child of God simply by crying out to Christ alone for salvation. Amen. He's made that possible. Maybe you're in the family, but you've not yet began to labor. You need to labor for the Christ that saved you. The laborers are few. Is that because of you? Maybe you're in the family, maybe you're a companion in labor, but you're not completely sold out to the point that you would lay down your life for Christ. He gave His life for us. The least we can do is give our life for Him. That's our reasonable service. Paul could send Timothy and Epaphroditus because they were sendable. And I wonder, are you sendable for Christ tonight?